we'll continue. Cool. So this is episode five. I'm going to have to stop saying the number because I'm going to start messing it up. If I make that a habit, <laughs> eventually there's going to be like three episode fives or something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty good at keeping track of it now, but eventually I'm just going to have to say, I need an intro. I don't even know if I want intro music. Maybe it is cool though. Yeah. When you listen don't to podcasts, buy a stock track. Yeah. When, when you, you know, know, when, when you listen to podcasts, doesn't like the intro music kind of do something to you when you hear it or no. Yeah. Sometimes it like devalues the whole thing. Like there, mm. there's a couple that I can tell just bought stock music. Like they, they browse for 60 minutes on like a stock music website and pick some, some track that they thought sounded, you know, like, like hard thinking, you know, like, oh, this, this is a podcast really for thinkers, or this is a podcast right. for people who are goofing off. And it just sounds, uh, it sounds like shit. Cause it's just, you know, sort of, uh, banal, the radio music or something, but with no singing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I but guess sometimes better... it gets you hyped. I mean, for sure you get the yeah. cue, like a jingle, right? So you want to have that so that everybody knows like, Oh shit, time to turn on my funny bone. You know, Mike Turpin's here. You know, right. you want all yeah. Sort of... Um, Joe Rogan's is pretty iconic and, and you have like, that's just a cool little riff drums. It's like, and it, and it transitions from the ads when you have ads at the top, it's cool to like hit the button and now it's go time. And it's not as much of like a distinct cold opening. Like it's so obvious for the guest. I listen to Tiger Belly. If you've never heard Tiger Belly, do you know who um, yeah. Bobby, Bobby Lee is? The Asian comedian? Like I, I, yeah, I know who of them, but no, I don't know any of the yeah, He doesn't even have like a special, but he, he's, um, I guess he's, he's, he definitely would be somewhat of like a Zach Galifianakis sort of quirky and like uh, just kind of anything goes. And he has just like such an ornery, playful sense of humor. It's endearing and it's absolutely hysterical. Like you would die laughing, listening to Tiger Belly nice. and they have a really alternative. I'd say their, their fan base is probably somewhat hipstery, um, but but it's still accessible to like that Rogan sort of circle, if that makes sense. Right. So that maybe you have more information on this. We were actually discussing this last night. What is like a hipster now? Like, oh, what, what is, question. what is the aesthetic affect of a hipster now? Because I, I think my wife was misdiagnosing someone who I think is definitely a hipster, right. but they, they didn't look like the hipster of, of, you know, the millennial generation, they were like the, the Z hipster. That's a, and it was know, like a throwback to sort of nineties hip hop a little bit, mm. um, like bad tattoos and not, I don't mean bad. I mean, bad in a, in no, a you're right though. Well, yeah, no, no, you're, you're totally right. Because when, when I think of hipster that like you or I would get along with like, like kind of like, us but in hipster form i think of like my ex steph and she had those sort of right. like almost what are they called i don't know if she had lip she didn't have sailor jerry tattoos but she had that like the the traditional point, yeah traditional. traditional traditional tattoos and poppers like stuff that you picked out of a book exactly and and you went with and you know you you got this whole montage of poppers and yeah i've, I've known a lot of people like that and they get really into it and they go to these really expensive shops even to get them, even though 
they're you know not yeah. technically demanding tattoos, but no. they, you know it can be a cool aesthetic. But yeah, it's, slice of pizza, really cool. a slice of pizza, the number thirteen, <laughs> um, like an alien or a UFO. Yeah, some you know. callback to like maybe like a suicide or anxiety or mental health thing was sort of coming in at the end of that. You know, some symbol. Simpsons character shows solidarity. Yeah. Um, and okay. So when I think of hipster, I think musically they're going to project that they're into some sort of like sophisticated indie rock or something that's like a little bit rougher, but emotional and, and emotionally sensitive. But then they also secretly either love like bad rap music or like Justin Bieber. They love pop icons in their day, like they know all the words to some brand of pop music in an ironic right. sense. So they ironically like some sort of pop culture. That is so it's so, that's true. It is almost like in its essence, it is sort of like an ironic runaround from just being, you know, one of the sheep, one of the masses who's like pop culture. It's like, no, I'm not that kind of person who likes pop culture. You know, I, I think it's all bullshit. It's all I consume, but, you know, I, I approach it from the sarcastic, detached, cynical way. So, right. it's, you know, it's not the same. I'm not I'm not I'm not just one of these Americans like consuming the thing. It's like yeah. a wall. It's a defensive mechanism in some ways, because everybody I've known as a hipster is really in the top 40. Yes. Is it, no, I 100 percent because it's almost like the purest of these these the, the arts that seem like the the outer shell of hipster if you're all in on indie rock or punk you're typically not hipstery if you're like if you don't listen to if you don't secretly like bad reality tv or you, that that irony is a big part of it man like if you take a lot of like like your type of beard is not the type like hipsters would they, there'd have to be a slice of irony in almost everything, um, um, thrift thrift stores and looking for like something that is bad but good that they mm -hmm. think they can pull off with confidence because it gives them like a confidence. So they they wear it confidently. It's stuff that you or I could not typically wear, and then they just start. They gravitate towards an era usually like, I don't want to just talk about Steph. God, if she listens to this, she's going to feel bad because I mean, hell I dated her and I, I admired that about her. It wasn't bad, but, but she did listen to the bad rap. She liked, she really liked things like Dolly Parton and she, not that Dolly Parton's bad. Right. But, but it was right. like odd for this person who's into like, you know, folk punk and all this to also, really really be into stuff and and let's even like when i think of comedic hipsters they probably have a mustache that they make jokes about or uh -huh. something like that they wear like maybe you know typically guys would probably wear some sort of effeminate jeans um skinny right. jeans it's hard to imagine a heavy hipster they exist but a lot of them are a bit more like frail and like fragile looking um and if they're if they're heavy they're probably more like awkward and like like weird like like hunched posture and kind of like picking at their shirt or something you know what I mean? <laughs> well you gotta figure there's at least some people who are not really hip they don't actually have ironic attachment yeah to pop culture and sort of an outer shell and inner shell and that that's like a cultural trend not like a a demonization of anybody in particular, but there's got to be other people 
who are also just want to fit into that crowd because, you know, somebody's hot or it's just like the cool kids or whatever. And they, they are then forced to have to approach hipsterism as a fashion that they can sort of discreetly de decode yeah. and figure out the elements of, buy the pieces of it and start wearing it around, you know? And so it sucks for them the most probably because yeah. they don't want to wear like what, you know, they probably don't, they don't care. They would, they would just walk around in, in sweatpants or something. Yeah. What, one more thing that is actually about my ex, <laughs> just because I, you know, I can't help it. Like that was my, that was my time of really infiltrating the hipster community. And she's the one that I remember the most, you know, but yeah. like, here's a good example. And this is, this is definitely likened to hipsters. They will take great offense when you are like non-ironic, but offensive but if you're ironic about it and start like my sense of humor actually works for hipsters usually they don't find offense when i make comments like on the last episode i was making jokes that are a bit racy no pun intended you know i was i was um i you know i have i have an edgy sense of humor that falls in line with maybe the type of of uh racial jokes or or things that that Zach Galifianakis or a, like a lighthearted, absurd, silly, um, whether it's based off of a pun or it's so over the top that it's so clear you don't actually have this hatred. But but at the same time, if somebody says Oriental, like her father said Oriental, uh, referring to a per and she, yeah. it was like a dude, like you do not say it was like a, like a 10 minute dinner conversation of being offended by your father saying Oriental and her dad couldn't wrap his head around. Yeah, he's fucking he can't quite, he no, couldn't no, quite. No, he's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not, you know, he's his type of racist. He's not no more racist than anybody that's like him. And he doesn't actually have like, he he's totally cool, but at the same time, he doesn't get how saying something like Oriental is offensive right. and he'll fight tooth and nail to be like that. I'm not, I'm not being racist. You call people who are Chinese, Japanese, whatever, Oriental, you just do it, right. you know? Yeah. Right. So when it's out of ignorance, they spew venom. But if you know better and you do it, because like, do you know the podcast come You probably don't yeah, know this. Yeah. Come, come town, come town, Nick Mullen and Stavros Halkius are the perfect example. And they use things like gay and fag ironically. Right. right? And hipsters love it. They, they, they rarely take offense to this sort of joking. Maybe they're a little bit afraid to do it themselves, but yeah. But they, they love that these guys who are not stereotypically homophobic or really probably not homophobic outside of the fact that they just want to ironically call everyone gay and they get a free pass because they fit their mold, right? right. Like they're the alphas of the hipsters who get to say and be that way, but don't really mean it. And it's just being funny. Well, there's, yeah, well, there was definitely a, uh, a movement in like woke politics to try and call out all, all those people. Yeah. Oh, to you're create, right. I mean, there was a pretty serious moment where the ironic, I mean, there was, there was articles. And I remember when this originally started coming out because it originally appeared in, in like rad, radical politics and anarchist circles, you would see this sort of thread of these, these, these blog posts trying to, 
takedown, ironic comedy, or, you know, your joke's still racist kind of articles. And it never, it just seemed to not, not go because there's a cultural elitism to hipsters too, that, you know, like the people you're talking about, come down, like everybody's listening to it. Nobody wants it to go away. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Secretly, but we don't want to talk about it. It's like people don't talk about, you know, things like Pornhub or, or all these sort of things. You know, they just get a, a pass. Yeah. You know, they, I, they're not I, up for interrogation. But what you're saying about calling people out who are, are just not cued in to the new symbolic structure of, of offense, then yeah, that is really pretty despicable to be just like, well, we don't care about your intentions. You know, we're not interested in interrogating this guy's intentions using or- Oriental. You know, yeah. we already know he's a bad person because he's already cued us in by these symbols that he's using. That he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And you know what, though, you you actually touched on something that if you're going to define the hipster of today, like the under 27 hipster under 26, they probably don't find things like come town quite as funny unless they are not like a lot of hipsters are probably a bit more social justice warrior, like, you know, very outspokenly. You're not allowed to say any of these things. Nobody gets a pass. It's not cool. Blackface isn't cool, whether it's it's always sunny or some fucking racist person. Right. Nobody gets a free pass for the most part. um, I'd say with the most up to date hipster. And I think we've probably are at like a peak of that. Um, And and I, I imagine it'll start to go back to like having some sort of ironic reflection of the way people just were or something. I don't really know. I, I will say this. Um, you mentioned Pornhub. Something I noticed when I talked to, like I was hanging out with a girl who was, well, it was a, a year ago or so, maybe a year and a half ago. And she was 24. And her friend was maybe a year or two younger than her. And they were awesome, dude. Like if I, if I was younger, they would have been like my typical MO, like kind of gothy, pretty, you know, pretty smart into kind of music that I thought was cool, um, had good senses of humor, but they were way more sensitive and way more scared than even like the era of hipster that I dated. Right. And it was more extreme and something that, that seemed to be a trend among their friends and them was just an insane reflection of the extreme porn that you saw trending. Like they, they were much more into like daddy stuff and weird power dynamics. Mm. And basically, you know, you hung around them and you started to wonder, Jesus, did every girl get raped by some like male in their family or in their second, you know, maybe not blood relative, but maybe like a drunk uncle by marriage, did he like it almost just seemed like everyone was such a victim. It, it made me wonder, like, you know, it, it was it was pretty weird because it, it didn't just seem like them. It seemed like all of their friends had like an extreme in the hipster circle, had an extreme history of abuse. Um, there was extreme feminism, you know, like I, I, you wouldn't even be able to tell them that you thought it was a little weird, say, if 
a girl had armpit hair, which I I get thinking like you're shallow for thinking that, right? But then again, like you know, somebody should be able to say what they find physically attractive. Like I can say right. I like a, I prefer a bigger butt to a smaller butt, right? You should be able to say, well, I would prefer a shaved armpit. It's a, you know whatever, right? I, I would think right. that. Yeah, maybe if somebody doesn't shave their armpits and they're in earshot, they're going to be a little like, you know, they don't want to hear that. Okay, I'm not trying to offend anybody, right? That's just a random example, but they were very, um, just so easily triggered, dude. And then they were like, fuck cops, fuck fascists, fuck racists, you know, it was to the, you know, Trump, cops, and fascists. We're like a yeah. big, the pillars of you hate these people. And it seemed like that was, that kind of transcended into hipster culture. When you look on, on yeah. Tinder, that was a good, that's when I saw like kind of hipstery people on Tinder. And like when you have your age range a little bit lower, you start to see, and that like every alternative seeming person listed their pronouns, no Trump supporters, no cops. And then as if people know they're a fascist when they're a fascist, no fascists. Yeah. Like, who even, who is a self-identifying fascist? Well, the, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, yeah, well, right. And, and what does anybody mean by fascism? I don't I mean, know. I, it's, it's like interesting. We, we live in a time where we talk about fascism more than ever before, but we don't talk about totalitarianism ever. It's like, yeah. It's well, you know, fascism, particular type of governance that came out of that's the part of the total state. And then but it's easier to sort of pivot. For instance, it's like, um, you know, fuck cops, which, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm generally closer to. But then they, it's not it's not like fuck the big cops. It's not like fuck the CIA or fuck the NSA or like fuck these uh, bureaucratic institutions that actually dominate all of our lives on a day-to-day basis of, of how we behave. It's like, no, like, fuck that one guy over there. Or like <laughs> this, this guy I saw on TV, he's fucking fascist. He's the real problem. So it becomes, in essence, when, when they're forced to actually identify the problem, it ends up being the problem is just rednecks. You know, the political right. problem of our era is uninformed masses of deplorable people who we for some reason are exact, like everything else is a product of the totality in the system. Every of, of their problems, of everybody else's problems that we put into the correct category. Well, they, you know, their problems are, are from the system, but all these rednecks and all these other, no, they're not, <laughs> they are the problem. They're, they are holding the original sin of evil and racism. They haven't transcended uh, this thing and come up to the new values. And the funny part about it is it all kind of hinges on believing that there's this progress in human values, that human beings are somehow changing over the course of these industrial generations and becoming like perfect human beings. And right. if it wasn't just for these laggardly assholes who, you know, want to make America great again, who call back to the past, right? Like in a, that's sort of her heretical thing anyway, to say like, you want to go back at all, right? That there might be something in the past of value. Um, yeah, I guess it, that dead did get put into hipster culture. Um, but I removed myself from it around that time. So I don't know how like accurate or how much people really believed it. As an example, back when I was more around, you know, the, the scene of punks and 
alternative radical politics or whatever people like everybody was fucking vegan everybody was vegan until they were outside of the convention center or whatever and they went to mcdonald's and uh you know drank a coke and ate some chicken nuggets (laughs) so there wasn't this actual strong core of conviction there was just a strong cultural uh conformity that was going on and Unfortunately, like the leftism from the 60s just enforced that social conformity sort of outlook where now we have a society of total conformists, you know, and it's it's really disappointing. But you're saying you're describing the rebellious youth with some really key predictable uh, uh, descriptions, which means they're all conforming to following <laughs> falling into the line. Right. You know, give your pronouns, do these things. Um, as if that is some sort of key to liberation. Now, nobody really understands if it is. They're just kind of, I, I, that's one of the key mysteries to me in our modern world. It's like, well, why do people think these things besides propaganda or something? Because there's, yeah. there's no real, there's no evidence for, for this shit, but it keeps going on. But what you started with, with Pornhub, and I think you were kind of getting at with these people, the sort of, like what would be perceived as maybe a few generations ago as like sexual perversion mm-hmm. being the dominant sexual mode in a certain generation. Well, yeah. I mean, is it from porn? I mean, have you seen these videos of like the high school students getting suspended for playing the porn hub theme song? No, there's, there's these huge compilations. It happens all the time. And like people will be at the drum concert. Right. And they'll do the little, the little drum ditty from porn hub. <clears throat> And all the, the whole auditorium will be like, oh my God, you know, cra- laughing and freaking out. So from a very young age, people are tuned into this. Yeah. I mean, and they can consume it on advanced networks. I mean, we at least had buffering issues sometimes, you know, or whatever. <laughs> the, it was like an actual tech, technological limit to how much oh, yeah. pornography you could consume. Now, I mean, it's, it's, it's all the time. I'm sure it's during class, you know, people are just watching well, and I think we're we're finally at a time where it's so accessible that at the same time, the most common porn out there is in a somewhat what I would say extreme perversion. Like when when we were younger, we knew that there was like weird kinky shit, like people who thought balloons popping were sexual, right? And we had things like HBO's real sex. And Mm -hmm. we knew that there was stuff. And yeah, maybe in like the people who were actually really into porn, they knew about like that taboo series that came out where like, it was, I think a mother and a son or whatever. But now literally good luck finding like a, a, a page of videos that isn't all based around parent and kid sort of relationships or brother and sister. And what is that going to do to a 12 year old who think Mm. who just stumbles upon that? I mean, you can't tell me that, that, that is not going to affect the mind of youth. And we haven't seen the repercussions of it yet, but I mean, if a brother and sister are watching brother and sister porn and they're, they're young enough where they're still getting values instilled in them, what do you think that's going to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the classic case of, of information control where obviously we need some. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can't, we cannot be just 
exposing people to this total myriad of not because it's not just not just values it's sort of programming sexual desire um and how you relate uh to through the world i mean it's i think it's probably one of the more damaging things but it's not up for debate that's not going to ever be one of the hipster calling cards i know like it's not going to be like my pronouns or whatever uh anti-fash shut down pornhub that's never going to be like the third identification it's so backwards dude okay it's so backwards that somebody's going to get so bent out of shape about a, but be totally, I, it's so contradictory to me. And the, the, the porn thing, it is something that it really boggles my mind how people of a young age somewhat accept uh, this brother, sister, parent, kid fantasy thing as, I mean, they, they live it out. I know a dude who was a porn star and that was the, the gimmick kind of, and he dated younger girls who were like, he always would say 19 was his favorite age. I mean, he was, you know, he's got a, he's got a deviant side to him. I just knew him. I mean, I, I yeah. liked the guy, but it's like, clearly there's some demons or something going on. And he would date these younger girls and they like called him daddy. And he would go mm. and, you know, he would say they all had daddy issues or whatever, but they were like living out the fantasies of whatever videos he was putting out. And it was weird because he was, yeah. I, I guess he's like around, I guess he's around 40 and dating 19 year olds, you know. I, I don't know what, how, what the history of the trend is. Like when did, when did step sibling, that's usually like the, the thing that is popping up or step mom or something like that, well, right? Because on they try and- websites, they banned. So like his big thing was not using step siblings as a lot of them were when it first became big. And then I think Pornhub put their foot down and said, we won't promote videos that don't make it a step member thing. So there has been a little bit of censorship in some of the main channels but it still exists. And for a while it was prominent to not use step siblings. Step it, it's interesting because so you have like the sibling taboo in our culture. And so you can see that we've chiseled all the way down on that, yeah. right? It's only the very core of that that is still standing or, or changing how people are doing things. I, but I don't know like when it started, what year, um, but it really is interesting to me that it intersects with like COVID and lockdowns and this huge portion of the population staying home uh, even now. Right. And they're, yeah. And, and that's what they're, that's what they're seeing. They're seeing it not just because that's what the porn companies are making and putting it out there, but also because they're searching for it or they're going for it too. I mean, it's a feedback mechanism, right? I mean, it's probably making it worse, but there is something out there that's creating this content because we know that porn companies will shift on a dime. Like they're, yeah. they're going to make the videos that people want to see. They've been doing it forever. Like they're really good at it. They make lots of money and nobody, they make the most money that nobody ever will ever look at or talk about. I mean, it's great for them. You know, nobody's, nobody's ever talking about, it. we need to go after them. There was that thing with Pornhub and underage content was that, last year i think that they had to kind of come down and started giving people blue check marks you know like 
confirming people, um, which is interesting because now it sort of legitimizes certain, you know, certain people and who knows how much they're looking at things. But now if you have the blue check mark, you know, the person, this seems kind of fucked up, but I mean, there's, they're, they're authenticated. Yeah. So I guess it's okay. It's just, it's probably okay. And especially if you're really young and you don't understand very much and you see a blue check saying, oh, okay, well, that means everything's good here. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty insidious, honestly, the whole, the whole industry, but the whole step, the step sibling thing is, yeah, that's, it's beyond me. I, I should probably look at when the dates, when it started, maybe there's no correlation to the lockdown. I want to say, uh, now I just started here. Oh no. Okay. We're good. Uh, I want to say it started probably five or six years ago, but now it gives us an opportunity to, I keep thinking, when is it going to have been out long enough where people will have acted upon it long enough where there is data and a huge shift in parents and stuff to acknowledge it because it's not talked about at all. And there's going to come a time where people are like, Hey, our kids are fucking <laughs> like we, I'm right. you know, I, I don't know the numbers on this stuff. After this, I do want to give you a somewhat formal introduction, but oh yeah, and once now. we're done this topic, yeah. But I want to, right, I'm going to, I just going to, I love, I love guesstimating. So like, I'm going to ask you some weird numbers and you're just going to give me a percentage or what do you think the likelihood? Okay. What do you think the likelihood of a brother and sister say, let's start with step sibling or give me step sibling and non-step siblings. So blood and step say within the age of three to five years of each other, you know, or less, right? What mm-hmm. do you think there's a chance that they've crossed the line and done some weird sexual stuff? It doesn't need to be full intercourse, but maybe they've kissed, whatever. I don't know what they've done. Something that crosses a clear line. What percentage? I, I don't know, 10%. Yeah. I, I would say it's probably not. I mean, if we're, get, if we're not talking about ideation or like thinking about it because I guess most like Freudian psychologists would have said that they were all doing it in, if it, in, in their heads, in their right? heads, they were having some sexual fantasy. God, if it was that close, because you would have, you know, the, this early archetype, but I, I, yeah, of actual, I don't know. I, I've, and you know what, the data that you would get if you researched it might be sh- total shit. That's the thing that I, I always, who, about who, that. who is going to, who is going to confirm it in a poll? Under what conditions would you? Exactly. Maybe, maybe in a decade, when maybe there's a normalization trend, and in a decade you can get some some better info. But I th- uh, yeah, I still think it's too early. I think people are not going to answer that question. I think that you're going to notice uh, things like an obvious increase, but I think the number is never going to be accurate. It, right, the number is never going to be accurate. I mean. Whether, yeah, whether it could be how you ask the question, these are all things that would, would change the number. It would, yeah. you know, whether it would even be accurate on its own account is one thing. But it would also change, too. I think you could look at some cohorts and you could say, all right, um, what about, because people get married and divorced like crazy now. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an uncommon thing to be married a few times, right? So what if you get married to your third, your, your, you know, that you're on your third spouse and your kids are... Uh, between 15 and 19 mm-hmm. and you both have a between 15 and 19 year old 
and you move in to the same house and now you have step siblings and they don't know each other. They don't have a personal history before then. Uh, you'd have to think that it would be a very high probability yeah. because yeah. we all know that proximity and all these things drive like a lot of romantic and sexual encounters. It's just the way it is. If there's no opportunity, then it's unlikely to happen. But if there is, um, it takes a whole lot less, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that I, I, I definitely, I'll tell you a funny story, man. My dad his current wife, they started dating. Well, they were high school sweethearts, but they started dating again. I don't know. I'm just going to throw out the number six years ago. Maybe it's been more, it's probably been about six years, at least five years ago, they started dating again and eventually got married. And when he started dating her, he kept telling me, Hey bud, you know, Joyce's daughter, Megan, she's a sweet girl and all that. And I'm like, I'm like, dad, she's going to be my, my stepsister. Like, you don't realize that that's weird. And he goes, Oh, well, you know, whatever you're, you know, you're both around the same age. They were trying to hook me up with her daughter and neither of them thought that was weird. And yeah, no, <laughs> it's almost like we don't really take marriage and and family that seriously i mean in a lot of respects especially when your kids have grown and there's right. a lot of adults who get divorced and so it's like i don't know it's like we're just a sea of individuals you know a sea, and, and and it just happened look you know you guys know each other you know it's a first step you know yeah that's wouldn't that you be guys cool? are already on a good path we're a happy uh a happy sexual encounter yeah i i don't think people really take it that Seriously, I mean, it may be part of that is what we were talking about before, but maybe maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe it's more about the the collapse of of family in general. You know? Yeah, I I think that um, well, I think when you're on your third marriage, like my father, it gets a little bit less of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, no, I. It's not like he's going to have kids with her and then you're going to be with right. his daughter. And then it's going to be like, he's, he knows that that's, that's, and there've been long-term relationships that he didn't get married to. Yeah. It's the thing, the way I framed it was, and this is a good question. It's like, do you know anybody who, who date <laughs> has dated their step sibling? off the top of your head no right not off the top of my head well, i like, don't want to be that when you person. said that i started to think that i have heard but i also have like a big family maybe there was something somewhere you know yeah but and no, i'm not, not I'm off the top of my head serious. i don't have any names like 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 could potentially like marry their step sibling because this well, is i don't want that to be the talking point because if i married my stepsister. <laughs> Maybe not you, but most people, when, when they get done, when I meet people and I leave the room, you know what they're going to say? That guy's married to his stepsister. And think of the gift you'll have given them. <laughs> <laughs> My popularity would just go way up. In conversation. Did you invite the steps over? You did? Yes. I want to talk <sighs> shit about them all night. <laughs> all right. I'm going to ask the more serious thing. And I, I, I think 10% is probably... A good uh, at the very, I would say 
anywhere from 8% to like 25, 20%. And then you have to consider the fact that even if you weren't related, there's not like a 100% chance that you would do something with them. So I would say that it's actually only about anywhere from a third to a half likely or a quarter to a half likely of the possible of, of the, the possibility, possibility, if that makes right, right. sense, because gotcha. you're not just going to do stuff with anybody. Um, uh-huh. I, I guess, well, I, I will say this on it before I ask you this question. I remember, see, I, I don't have a, I don't have a sister. Um, I, I don't have like the stereotypical mom who flaunts her body body. I remember, do you remember the guy? I won't say his last name, but do you remember the guy we went to school with who I was friends with, who you could tell was like a good guy, but he also was like, had issues and like a bully Brandon. Does that name ring a bell? Blonde hair, basketball, tall. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I was realizing when you were talking to Claire that I was like, I don't, You don't remember Claire. There's a guy we went to school with whose mom was just obviously hot. And she'd like walk around the house in like lingerie. Okay. You've told me this before. Yeah. And, and it was, was, uh, and the guy has issues that got, I mean, that's where like, he definitely proves Freud, right. It's Freud, right. (laughs) The, The Oedipus complex. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oedipus, Ed- Ed- edible complex. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it was weird, dude. So I don't have that. Even like my cousins, I didn't t- from the time. I mean, I have a cousin, uh, Shelly, first cousin, the only female first cousin I have. And I do have like a, maybe a second cousin named Ashley, but I, I only grew up around them so much. We had to travel to see them. And then the one cousin, Shelly, I didn't see for a long period of time. And it's not like she was like the stereotypical hot girl. She's great. She's not, she's not unattractive. I'm just saying like, I didn't have anybody that was like tempting me to sexualize, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I could imagine that it was tough for Brandon not to sexualize his mom. When the closest, when we were looking at scramble porn, you know, right? when, when we didn't have, and, and everybody told him, dude, your mom's so hot. And I don't know. I mean, it, it just, but, but I do have a story. I'll tell you growing up, I thought that I had cousins that were not cousins, you know, like when, when your parents have good friends and they see this is your mm-hmm. aunt and uncle, and then these are their, their kids. Now they had daughters. Megan and Amber, who I recognized at the time as being very attractive. I didn't fantasize about them, but I mean, I knew that they were hot. And I -hmm. remember thinking that I remember thinking at a young age, like, am I supposed, is this supposed to be weird? Am I, is it wrong to think they're hot? Like, but I also at the time knew that we weren't really blood related, but I didn't really get why I called them my cousin, you know? It was a weird yeah. thing, but, but I never really had like extreme temptation, but so it's, it's always seemed weird to me. And this, this porn phenomenon is one of the weirdest things about our culture to me. If I could pick one thing, if I was in college and you need to do a thesis statement or something and like a mm-hmm. sociology class, boom, that's my, I'm picking that porn. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so bizarre to me. And it's bizarre on so many levels. It's bizarre to me that the modern day hipster feminist 
wants you to dominate them and, you know, choke them unconscious and make them gag and like, like abuse the hell out of them. And, and they need to live out these things that may or may not have been done to them. Or maybe it's one of those things where they want to be victimized because there's a lot of that in hipster culture too. People who yes. weren't actually victims that like want to stand up and be that person that is a minority or a, or a, what do you call it? Disenfranchised. I don't know the right word, but, but they've had some sort of extreme oppression or issues to deal with. Yeah. And that's a big thing in hipster culture. We we've seen that a little bit. Um, one of my best friends growing up, um, who, who, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to call her out because again, it's, there's no need for that. Uh, but, but she kind of got into this, like the world is out to get me. But as far as we know, she had a great upbringing. Um, and, and she became this thing of like, you know, really looking into that, like being an oppressed person and she's somewhat of a hipster, I guess. Yeah. Right. I think that you, you know, you start to see problems in the world, you know, it all starts to seem uh, so bleak, you know, all, all, all of the, the myriad issues, you know, you start to pay attention to a few things. And then it be, you start to also see that the attention is going towards these things. And there's a subconscious thing, I think, mostly. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of malicious people trying to invent themselves as a victim, but I do think there are a lot of people who end up doing that. And they do that because I think they feel like they'll get the attention. And then unfortunately, it derails all the seriousness that they might have been able to bring to the table. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll tell you another funny thing. This is what this is why I hate the venom. OK, this is why I hate like I love that everybody has their cause. And if you want to stand up for you know, whether it's a, a, a social justice sort of thing through maybe the lens of like veganism, or even if it's just animal rights, and you're not a vegan, um, or whatever you're into, the, the fact that it's hard to throw venom is because you're the same person that flicks your cigarette butt in the street. You're the right. same person that does not do every single thing. Like you don't care that you're buying this product that tears up animals with tractors in order. Oh yeah. To we don't talk about sweatshops and consumerism and no. I mean, that, the, that whole dialogue that's that peaked in the late nineties really is dead. We don't yes. talk about, about any big systemic change into how we relate to the world on a daily basis. It's not up for debate. It's only the only thing we can talk is about how to better include and assimilate people into this homogenous mass that's, you know, taken over, I think, most of the world at this point. I mean, look at how things are governed in different countries, it's all basically the same schematic, even yeah. so it's and then, of course, that will erase the cultural stuff. And the cultural stuff is what we're talking about with the with the porn, where there's no backdrop. There's no we don't teach kids a virtuous way to deal with sexuality you know we tell them instead we appeal to this sort of like uh blunt reality this blunt so-called reality that like if you have sex with a family member you're gonna have a disabled child right there's this sort of taboo yeah. mythology out there that's the ultimate it's the ultimate backdrop to the that sort of taboo 
But as that's basically the only appeal that's that's sort of left. There's no, we don't have any other guiding principles as a culture, certainly not unified ones. And then you look at the places that are trying to come up and compensate and you get things like the extreme sort of religious uh, approach where um, you basically deny that all these things are happening in the world. And then right. of course, when people realize that they are, um, unless you have an intent and an insanely cohesive community, like an Anabaptist Amish or something community, where you really have to go back to that community to have any family to the people you knew for the first 16 years of your life, beyond them, everybody else just sort of acquiesces to the culture and just says, well, this, this is it, you know? I mean, I listen to Top 40 and I watch porn and I get choked when I have sex. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our cell phones are, are the easiest example. Like, I don't know the actual thing. I don't know if I'm just spewing the, the reverse side of it. That's also propaganda, but as far as I know, I mean, if you have, whether it's a Verizon cell phone, whether it, the, the lithium ion batteries or whatever, it seems like it's a pretty dirty market when it comes to slave labor and extremely bad work conditions. And, you know, you may hate Chick-fil-A and Walmart, but you're not doing everything you can. You're not living a clean life. If that's your stance, you're contradicting yourself in so many ways that you don't realize or don't care to face. So at the very least, drop a little bit of the venom. That's all yeah. I ask. I don't even say you need to like feel like a bad person, but but drop a little bit of the extreme judgment for everybody not aligning with your battle. I I mm. thought you know we had um as a a, a slam poet who is really really big in uh, the the black culture movement that we knew that we grew up around in the slam poetry scene when you and I were doing slam poetry and it was like every post turned into this thing where she also got into fat shaming and mm. that's something we could talk about after i say this is a this is this stuff's actually great because it ties into our beginnings our our like when we before we knew each other in the beginning led to our friendship um the slam poetry thing and also being fat persons is something mm -hmm. we can like really <laughs> relate to i mean fat, we were, fat body we fat were body. obviously the like we were two of the fat kids in our grade there was like a handful of them and boy was it a handful um <laughs> <laughs> but but we were two of a strong man yes yes <laughs> and and uh you know, this person makes it sound like anything that you do that is geared towards better dieting or healthy lifestyle, or if it, it seemed like she was trying to say that if every day you don't outwardly acknowledge black oppression and like basically see everything through that lens, you were the problem. Mm -hmm. it, I, it's mm -hmm. here, we've shared posts before where it's like, man, I can't imagine abiding by this law. And it's like, I, I, I want to, yeah, it is a law. I, li I like helping. I, I get it, but God, not to that extent. I mean, right. And, and who is making the sort of larger decision, the meta decision of what right. goes into these categories, right? You just have to basically be, a, a, you have to conform to some media lane that you think is righteous. And then you, you, you magnify what they say, because, you know, you, you've already decided in your head, you're on this side. 
And, right. and these, these are my, these are the, the clergymen that represent, you know, my side. Yeah. Um, and and, and black, oppression, black oppression is not the only oppression that exists. So it was like the only thing she was making a stance about, I mean, feminism, she was, but like female oppression and, and black oppression are two issues of, of many issues. And even if they are at the top, how can you only, you, you know, that's not the way you then, then scale it. Then, then 10% of your post should be towards some other, whether it's, whether you want to stand up for Islamophobia or be anti-Islam. No, I don't know. Whatever <laughs> oppression you want to be a, a part of tearing down. You could, Yeah. It'd be really interesting <laughs> if we had more of a grab bag sort of approach to this, because right now it's like, the camps are very delineated on all the issues. Like, yeah. you know, you could probably tell where somebody stands on, on all these issues. We're talking about like fat shaming, uh, um, you know, black lives matter, different, all these different cultural issues. If you just ask them if what they think about uh, Anthony Fauci and they right. said like, like, Oh, he's a great guy doing the best we can. Okay. Well, you, you know, you're probably all these other things because we live in this sort of really weird existence, but it would be kind of fun if we had a grab bag where you were, you know, and it used to, I honestly feel like our culture used to have more of this. You used to see it on weird independent websites back before the web became, you know, social media companies where this guy's like, um, or like the black Israelites, they're a great example, you know, or like they're, uh, they're you know, it, there's a lot of good examples of sort of weird hodgepodge stuff, but we don't have a lot of that. They're more, there's more conformity now, but yeah. don't imagine the fat shaming thing. So you, the person you're talking about, I think you're talking about, they were saying you shouldn't fat shame, correct? I mean, oh yeah, that's obvious. You didn't even have to clarify that point. It was her business. What, what else you said? <laughs> it was. Yeah, it became so, a business. That was her whole thing. Was like, like she was selling pretty oh, much a thing. She was Remember the antichrist of a dietitian? Pretty much, man. <laughs> I, I forget what her thing was as far as her her brand. But she, I mean, her website and she, she had a TED talk about, about body positivity right. and stuff. Yeah. And okay. Right. Well, I, it's interesting for me as a fat kid, because I became, as I became an adult and started to learn about how I didn't have to be like a fat kid, I realized like a big thing that was taken away from me was shame. I, I, I don't remember being shamed for being, and people made fun of me for being fat, but I mean, that was fine. Like it wasn't, wasn't shame. It was like, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't hurt me in like a, in a deep, deep way. Right. But I didn't have, there was no sh generalized shame. Like, mm. Hey, you know, you should really, uh, you know, you or your parents should really try and deal with this now because it's going to be probably a lifetime battle for you. And the earlier that you can change some of these habits, the better. Unless you'll you'll struggle with it. Um, there was none of that. Hey, whoa. Zero. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> hey, crossing some lines there, big guy. <laughs> Seriously, though, you're right. I mean, how how can that be framed as a negative perspective? It's like literally 
the, the empowerment you give somebody when you make them realize that they actually don't have to be fat. And if you can change the framework of identification and let them know the choices that they have, and you don't need to humiliate them for being the way they are, because we all have issues no. and we all have stuff. And if it wasn't food or a lack of exercise or whatever, it could easily be something else, but, but you do have an option. And what would you rather be? And if you do go down that path and give it a fighter's chance and say, I'm going to try to diet, I'm going to try to work out and you come up a little bit short or it fluctuates like, okay, but we might as well try it. Right. Maybe you got a thyroid condition, right? We might as well let you know that you're not yeah, we, yeah, we, we might as well let you know that this isn't like an immutable thing, you know, and then that was big when we were in high school was sort of the, the maybe the peak of, of like finding some of these genetic markers and then saying like, oh, well, we've, we've caught, we've seen a, a correlation between this person having this genetic marker and then, you know, either being fat or, or, you know, developing a disease that was a really in the, in the heyday of, of that of new science and, uh, so there was this sort of deterministic, like, well, you got to look at your family uh, history and, and see like where, cause what they did, you know, you'll probably, you'll probably have to do the same thing. And of course, there's a lot of reasons that that would be true that are not genetics, like they're mm-hmm. in your family and they raised you. But even if it was true, that's, you know, it's such an unhelpful thing. And I wish somebody had, yeah, I wish somebody had taken me aside and been like, listen, like, you know, don't eat a gallon of goldfish tonight. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I do. Like, I, like, just don't do it. You yeah. don't do it. You can't do it. I'm taking it away. That would have been helpful. That would have been, that would have been helpful to me because I know now that if I hadn't started in my early twenties, realizing that, and if I was now 10 years later, if I had tried to start that seems really fucking difficult to me. Very difficult. You know, I, I'm pulling from a tool bag, but if I didn't have one, um, I'm not sure. Yeah. We just give up, I guess. Yeah. And uh, since we figured it out at a younger age, we had the luxury of, I mean, being with attractive girls. No, I mean, no, no. <laughs> but it's like, no, yeah, it, yeah. it was, I, I can just recall. I don't know if you can recall this. See, I agree. I didn't feel much direct shame right i didn't feel like exact it's exactly like you're talking about but it was probably the thing i hated the most about myself i agree i I agree yeah Yeah. i i accepted it but like yeah if somebody's wheelchair bound they might have thick skin to or they might not feel shame for being in a wheelchair right but they they probably if they could fix anything about themselves Maybe they would pick, yeah, it'd be nice to not have this wheelchair bound thing I got going on. And most people who are obese, I mean, especially if you're like, if you're somebody that could lose 80 plus pounds, it, Mm -hmm. most of those people would probably say that is the thing they hate the most about their lives. And now that I've spent a career in strength and conditioning, personal training, and I've had many clients who've gone from being heavy to at a, at a healthier weight or, or just feeling better about the way they look. And I've, I've just seen it happen. Like a couple of my buddies that, that worked with me when I was younger. And after I lost weight, you know, it was easy for me to just kind of, they saw what I did and they started doing it and then they lost weight and maybe they, they went back and forth. And we, we're people that because we've developed that thing and it's a part of us, 
we do fluctuate a little bit and, and we've gained and lost weight, but it's never been what it was. And it's never been the thing that yeah. I hate the most about me again, probably, or it's, it's yeah. definitely, it's taken time to switch the identity because, you know, you definitely develop certain confidences and in some insecurities where maybe there's a little bit of, um, there's probably some lingering dysmorphia or, or something or, or a two sides of the coin. You recognize how much better you look, but you're, it's hard to, you, you know, you yeah. don't really know what it's like to have a different identity because you're still the same person. So it took time. It took time to adjust and be normal about the way I, I was. I still had some like lingering fat kid mentality for probably till my younger twenties, till I probably got into like powerlifting yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I would want to, yeah. Like the body image shame, I do think is really damaging. You know, if it's yes. on that level of, of body shame, you're saying about hating yourself. And I, 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 I do. And maybe on that level there, there is a shame, but the shame that I'm talking about is, it is more of like, you're a member of this community. You're another human being out here. And like, um, don't you want to do what live to the fullest potential? Cause right now, the only thing that's, that's stopping you is, is how you're eating. It's yeah. really just, just this very simple thing. And so there was none of that, that's, that's saying, listen, you're living in, you know, the world's richest culture to ever exist. And you have, you're living in the highest, uh, 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 a caloric environment ever to exist. And like, you're probably going to have to develop you particularly because it, obviously you, you really like to eat, or maybe you have all these, you know, there's a million, um, I love all these, these reasons why people overeat and you got to find your little discreet reason why you're an overeater and all these sort of things. But in just framing it, there was no global framing to say, we live in a, we live in a society where you can easily do this. Yeah. It doesn't have to go really off the rails. Look at the population level data. It doesn't have to go off the rails for any individual person to start putting on 40, 50, 50, 60 extra pounds. It just right. happens. Right. I mean, I don't think all of these people are, are like eating because of, of some particular psychological disorder. I think a lot of them are eating because food is really good and, uh, you know, it's available. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be very simple. I, I like just liked eating goldfish. I mean, I was, yeah. maybe I was sad and hiding my feelings and there was all this subconscious thing, but at the time it really just seemed like tasty. Yeah. I like good things and food that tastes good. I want to keep eating until I'm full. I didn't have a full sensor that was like other people's. Even at a young age, I used to always think, I don't know when this stopped, but, and I think it was more probably because I was drinking sugary stuff. It was probably when mm -hmm. I started drinking water, but I used to think it so much. So I would tell people I had the name of it where I felt like I was always thirsty. Yeah. You know? I always felt thirsty. Let me go ahead and just say, we'll, we'll get back to this, but I want to, I want to, this will lead into, to like our earliest big memory of, of hanging out in like ninth grade and getting into trouble together. We should talk about that. Okay. That is yeah. epic. As far as like, 
it was a, do you want to do a, an intro or do you yeah, want to yeah, just, I'm, I'm just, well, just, just, just going to say I, I, no i mean people will see your name in the thing isn't that enough in the feed. <laughs> why do you need an intro? <laughs> yeah no that's fine i already gave four intros you know this jesus is my, christ I'm yeah done with intros so oh as a matter of fact i'm gonna tell my roommate what's up dude oh you're good my roommate just walked in um so yeah so for those who don't know um right do you want me to to kick it off or do you want to go oh well i was just going to say that that steve and i went to the same high school and that is where we became friends first and definitely had some of that like because we are similar personality types, we clearly got along, but there was like probably a competitive thing about us in high school, especially when we got into the slam poetry and, and that sort of thing. But um, we were friends in ninth grade English class, probably just based on the fact that we were both kind of outsmoking, outsmoking, outspoken and into the same kind of like music and movies to a degree. And and that sort of thing. And then I don't even know if we had hung out much before this incident. Had we hung out a whole lot? Not, not a tear. No, because at the time you had invited me over to your house, your dad's house at the time. (laughs) And I swear I had told my mom, I was going to go spend the night at your house. And, um, that's not what she thought. I don't remember the end of we'll, we'll get to it. But uh, yeah, I think it was like the first or second time we had substantially hung out. Yeah. So it, it really set it set a bad precedent. I think we never. Maybe. I think we went years without hanging out. I don't think we ever hung out again after this incident, except for to do yeah. our punishment together. Um, yeah right until until we started doing slam poetry and we weren't really friends until senior year i got into that in junior year we were arch nemesis arch you know arch nemesi and then senior year by the end of senior year we were pretty good friends um well we were really just the two the two best the two slam best poets. slam poets. That's really all that was going on there. <laughs> yeah. So it was an inevitable became this feud. And since we weren't friends at the time much, it just, it, it became an inevitable sort of thing. And I don't, I don't think it was like extreme hatred, but anyway, let, let's go back to ninth grade. So grade. <laughs> this is too funny, dude, because it's, it's funny because the last story I told having Claire on involved us doing the pushouts at Walmart. <laughs> And now <laughs> I'm telling this story. I, ha- and it just, I think we- Psychedelic both, criminal podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that we both just thought things that were exciting and edgy. And you were into like the, Anar- you gave me a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook when we were in ninth grade. Really? Yeah. You, you had a printout. You print, you either printed it out for me. I had all those pamphlets green that I gotten in trouble for. It okay. wasn't a pamphlet. Yeah. You literally gave me a green binder with like a three-pronged binder that had the anarchist cookbook printed out. Okay, I did print shit like that out, yeah. Yeah, so you printed me a copy <laughs> of the anarchist cookbook. And I remember like showing my brother all this Damn, stuff. Damn, that's dope. 
Yeah. So I, I read a lot of it. I remember like they gave some like funny advice and I did some of the shit in there, like to get back at people. They were like, you could, write Oh, the things pranks and, were like, great. The, yeah. The pranks to get back at somebody, you could write mm-hmm. messages and paint thinner on their lawn and <laughs> stuff about like, ma- I think like mailing car, whatever, like little obnoxious things, like yeah, yeah. little obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and I may or may not have acted on some of that there was like direct uh, the big thing about the anarchist cookbook is there was like directions to make homemade bombs but we I didn't think. use it for for the following thing no. no no we didn't but that would just kind of it set the tone i think for why i thought you would be a good person to and <laughs> probably why my wheels started spinning yeah. of what sort of a like crazy and, stuff we could get into and also the, i mean scene setting there where your house was the only thing to go to yes was the elementary school the elementary school and it was right there so of course we were going to go i'll tell you because i think i was the one that pitched the idea or maybe we brainstormed it but my initial thought was my initial thought was i knew that they had these vending machines at the the school rec rec center and I just thought they probably have a decent, I thought I probably thought they had more money than they did, but I thought they probably had a decent amount of money in it. And, and I thought I knew how to get it out. We, yeah, we thought that we, we, we together you, thought we could do. You this. had the tools, you brought like a, a hammer. <laughs> <or something. laughs> and, and I just knew that it couldn't be that hard. I don't know. Yeah. You probably thought you could you get into it somehow. And I was totally game. And yeah, we thought it was a great idea at the time. There was nothing wrong about this decision. And the rec center was not, I mean, it's, it's deceptive to say that because really what we were talking about is the supply closet, the outdoor standalone supply building. Right. They eventually built an actual rec center there. That is after we wrecked that one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but 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 this wasn't like a gymnasium okay this was you're right it was a supply thing that i mean yeah it had maybe had some like extra gloves and bats and stuff we didn't really take anything out of there we just had our mindset on fuck it let's we didn't steal anything nothing that we could have no we were so dumb actually i would remember looking around and thinking because, you know, you don't know about tools. You don't know about equipment at that age. Yeah. You know, you're like four, 13, 14. You, you, all of that stuff, well, this is worthless. The only thing that I could possibly use is money. Yes. We <laughs> just <laughs> wanted the money out of it. Yeah. We, we, so, so we were ninth, ninth graders. So I basically said, hey, right up the street, there's an elementary school. We should go up there. And at the time, I had had a middle school from like fifth grade especially like middle school, whenever I hung out with the Heslins in their neighborhood, we terrorized their neighborhood. You know, we did the stereotypical, you run around, you knock on everybody's doors, but sometimes it got way more extreme than that. You know, it was like vandalizing stuff. So that was like my influence into that. And this was like the grand peak of my vandalization days. So I pitched this idea. Hey, there's a vending machine. I bet you there's money in it. Do you think we could get into it? I figured, especially since you had this anarchist cookbook thing, you probably knew how to (laughs) break into this bitch. And yeah, so we, do you remember anything else about it backstory wise? You know, I'm just trying to remember what time of year it was, but uh, Uh, I don't think it was, yeah, I don't think it was cold. I think the key thing, 
Yeah, it was during the school year because the key thing is that we get over there and there's a bunch of fucking kids around. A bunch of kids there. It was a bunch of kids. And we should have really, I mean, that that showed how inexperienced we were. Probably springtime. Probably springtime. And we, yeah, it must have been. Because Because we've probably been friends all through ninth grade. And then there's, it's probably like, like parent teacher conference night in springtime. Um, okay. Well, there was all these kids there for a parent teacher conference. We were like talking to these kids, just waiting for them to leave. Yeah, I know. That was a really, really dumb. That was stupid. Yeah. So we wait for them to leave. Um, and I, I don't think we had any finesse or really great ideas about getting in there. I think we just beat off the lock, beat the hell out of it, dude. How long did it take to get the door? We had a good time. We had a good time beating it off. I do remember that. I mean, we were, I don't know if we had like a Mountain Dew or something before we went over there. We were real jacked up. We were (laughs) some pre-workout. Yeah. We beat that off and we get inside. Took a while it, I mean, the fact that nobody came is remarkable. Crazy, man. Crazy. So, yeah, yeah we get at least a half an hour, at least yeah, a half to an get hour. into the building of just beating it with a hammer. That's all we did. We it was a claw hammer, if I recall. Maybe and it was the a cop hammer. for Norrisville used to used to sit there. I know and he wasn't there that night, but it was a bad plan. Yeah. So we beat it open, I guess. And there's just the one right one vending machine. One vending machine, a Gatorade machine. Yeah, yeah, Gatorade machine. And I don't think we could get into it. We tried. And we, no, we got it open. I don't yeah. think we ever got the money container, which was in another lock and key. I know. We never got money out. I think we got a few coins out the slats. I think we got. We didn't even bring like slats. a screwdriver or anything. I we didn't think. even have a screwdriver. Yeah, we had a hammer. I mean, I guess we figured what couldn't be accomplished. With a hammer, you just, yeah, of course. Beating it eventually yeah, you, you just, just break it. it open and then you break the thing containing i might have had a crowbar i think you did but i don't know if we really used it i don't think we knew we how to i use don't think i knew how to use a crowbar no idea <laughs> <laughs> the crowbar like actually might have helped us get into the door though i don't remember like we beat the handle off eventually i think and then it just kind of <laughs> swung open and we were like hallelujah i really don't know how it opened but it was an awesome moment when that door opened and finally that was a big accomplishment. in that rec center. And then, yeah, we just beat the living shit out of the Gatorade machine. Everything we could and, do to get the money out. And I mean, we probably were, were the whole thing was over an hour. Because we, yeah. I mean, we were determined to get the money out of that fucking machine. We were there for a long time. We were just looking at it. So, and like trying to figure out how to do it, taking turns, dude, it was a long, long time. And what wound up happening is I guess we just gave up or didn't we get, did we get scared and thinking somebody was coming up and like run away? I remember running through that graveyard to get away. Not, not until after we decided we were going to tip it. Oh, and dump we it out the door. It. Yes. And we, so we push it out the door and it tumbles. And for whatever reason, we didn't, you know, thinking back, we didn't think about hitting the doors being loud or maybe we did, but that doesn't stand out to me. But I know when we dropped it over, that was really fucking loud. Yeah, we we knocked it over. That's right. We saw a car. I mean, it was loud. We started going through the graveyard. It's all shadowy. The car comes and we just bolt. Yes. And then 
we bolt over to your house and then we're like, you know, it's maybe three or four minutes over there or less. And my mom is driving up the driveway because she didn't think I was spending the night. And she's like looking for me. She didn't know where your house was. You remember this? Yes. And I like got right in the car with her and left. And we never, we didn't even get to hang out after this. Not at all. At all. Because it only took like two days before the little, that little kid narked on us and we got. Yeah. And we got. So a kid that saw us. We got caught. A kid that saw us up there told his parents that he saw us up there. And then they found out that we did it. It lined up. They called my dad. They called, I don't know. They called my mom, whatever. We had to sign a bunch of papers and pay for the thing and then do community service. We had to paint all the benches at the rec center in like the pavilion. We painted them all. I don't know why they had us do that together because it really wasn't that bad of a time. It was the only time we got to hang out after that. (laughs) I had fun painting the benches. I had no issue painting the benches. That was fun. And then it was cool to like go up there again and see the benches that we painted because I lived right up there. (laughs) So yeah. for like, I don't know if, I think eventually maybe they painted them a different color, but for years and years they were painted and we were like, that's us, dude. We should even like signed our names on them, you know, put a little, <laughs> put a little metal uh, emblem. Like, you know, th- that would have been, uh, I felt good about those benches, but this was like the most demoralizing <laughs> thing. I think he said this. I think he said this when you and I were up there because the guy, uh, Scott, who was the chairman of the rec council, who yeah. decided not to, I, I don't think he called the cops or anything. He just talked to my we dad. We did have to sign, we did have to sign something that admitted that we did it. Yes. And, and we had to pay him back for the full cost of the thing. On top of it. Which involved for me working for my stepfather, like licking a million post uh, envelopes. Oh my dude, I did a very I had to do them like one thing. cent a piece. That's what they were worth. That's what he paid somebody else to do them. Dude, I did a similar thing. I think for my mom, I'm pretty sure this is linked. My mom was mailing out stuff for a reunion because she was in charge of reunions. I'm almost positive, unless I was making money for something else, I'm almost positive that that was a part of like the thing that, that it was to pay it back. I had to lick the envelopes and put the uh, stamps on um, as part of, I think it might've been postcards. might've just been some, some kind of stamp roll. Anyway, that, that whole thing for me, and I I'm trying to remember the time it was either, you know, early early in the school year or late. I think late because I don't remember being in school with you that long after it It was probably way towards, it might've even been like just after the end of the school year. Because I had been, I had gotten in trouble either immediately, like in the other half of the school year, I guess the beginning, for passing out pamphlets in school, uh, anarchist pamphlets. And then they had called like Homeland Security. Uh, it was the beginnings of Homeland Security right after 9-11. It was like the Homeland Security sheriffs were liaison came in. And they wanted to do a psycho- psychological evaluation and they thought oh, I was going to come in and shoot up the school. I was going to be like a terrorist and like kill, kill everybody. That's and I, great. I, I'm laughing at the principal. That, what was his name? The, the big guy. Uh, Thatcher. Thatcher was our ninth Thatcher. grade principal. 
and he he's grade he's two, reading these quotes about anarchists and about things that have been done to anarchists and then saying isn't that awful like why would you why would you have this in here i said do you not i'm like you don't get it you don't like you don't understand <laughs> you don't understand what you're reading it was a really bizarre thing and it anyway for me that was you know that was a bad year because my you know my they were all sure my whole family was pretty sure i was you know doomed mentally corrupt yeah and after that it was like not he is you know he might be like a, a anarchist bomb throwing terrorist um i elbowed him that, you elbowed that principle him. thatcher i got into a fight and right as i went to punch the kid he was behind me going to grab me and I did that stereotypical cock back. And when I cocked back, I didn't know that he was, it was like perfect timing. And I elbowed him like right in his, I guess like his chest or something. Um, yeah. Going to punch a kid. Yeah. In 10th grade, I did that. Um, yeah. Do you remember though, this was like the most demoralizing part about it. He, the guy, the chairman of the rec council was like, why didn't you guys take the money? <laughs> it was like we tried so that was our goal now this is insane yeah. i the one thing we got from there they never knew we got this was a key, <laughs> was a key yes. to the shed that had the the tractor and right. i had an idea which i think we could have been successful in trying i don't know if it would have made it all the way through that I was going to put a weight on the seat so you could get off the tractor because I knew that the tractor shut off. And I actually had experience in riding a lawnmower. So I was going to get the lawnmower out. I was going to run it through the front doors of the school. Right. So if we didn't get right. caught for this, this I was going to go up, break into the shed, get the tractor out, line it up to the front doors, turn it on, hit the gas, hop off of it with like a concrete something on it. So it was enough weight. So it didn't yeah. auto turn yeah. off. And I was just going to let it run straight into the uh, front doors of the school and run away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that would have been a good senior prank better than the one we had. Oh yeah. That was crazy. We don't have to go. Into all that. No, you know, people thought I did that. I was really so pissed. Yeah. A couple people, there was a rumor going around that I did it. It was a racist prank. Somebody, you, you know, know, hung up, yeah. you hung up, hung a dummy of a black person at the top. We can get that far. I mean, it's, we had, well, we had yeah, it was very, pranks in our school. It, it's hard to describe like that because that like implies that it was really obvious what was going on in the prank, but yeah, you only knew if you walked over to the football field. And they right. ushered us all into the cafeteria or something like that. It was so it was. Very, I don't think uh, I saw it. I think I just knew exactly. what happened. You only heard it characterized to you. I, I saw a picture later on, but um, that guy that you're talking about, Scott, uh, the wreck guy, is that his name? Scott, yes. Yeah, yeah, Scott. You know, speaking of, of body shaming, when I first met him, he had already known you. And so I meet him with my my mom and you know he's giving me the the big lecture about uh i don't know why he did this blah, blah blah and then he looks looks me up and down and it's like i mean he clearly didn't make you do it <laughs> <laughs> you fat so <laughs> yeah <laughs> he didn't push you over there yeah uh, 
Yeah. And, and I don't know why he even thought, thought like that. They really thought you had more of a reputation as being a trouble starter, I guess. Um, I, I mean, they didn't like you. Yeah. I, I definitely had a little bit of that reputation by then. Um, it was a bit of both because I was known as being a sports kid when I was younger and then by high school, I think I just was, yeah, known as a little bit of a trouble starter. It was polar. I was polarizing. Some yeah. people really loved me and would think the world of me. And some people thought I was, you know, a Satan. So cut right, right down the middle, all through high school, man. Some teachers would tell you some people. Yeah. That guy, he didn't necessarily hate me. And since then, he no. actually added me on Facebook. I, he's an all right guy. He's there's no he seems fine, honestly. I mean, yeah. we could have it could have been so. I mean, we were really he thought he was being we helpful. Pretty lucky. He could have called he the cops. He was being helpful. Yeah, he, he didn't was, call he, the cops. Yeah, he, did, he was helpful because I, it would it could have been, you know, he tried to estimate what the police response would have been yeah. and do it and have a sign a thing without calling the cops, which I think, I mean, we were minors. It would have been, I mean, who knows? Maybe it would have turned to nothing. We could have just said, no, we didn't do that. I mean, there was only that little yeah. piece of sauce there. Yeah. <laughs> we could have just that denied it to weed, the end. Man, I remember his face too. I know. And after, I remember after the fact thinking, I know exactly which fucking kid did this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he rode my bus. Skinny little Dude, loser. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would have fucking fatted his ass out the window if I wouldn't. <laughs> I've gotten enough trouble though. I was like, I'm done. I'm I'm not uh I'm gonna let this just be for a little bit. Now what yeah, we really parents, cooled it off. We didn't talk, we didn't talk that much. What what did your like did, when your mom knew do you ever remember like your mom thinking it was like, uh-oh, he's hanging out with Mike again? when we became friends, is she still Definitely. a little like, I no, don't know about that guy. No, she's no, she's cool about it now, but for sure. Like, you know, because the next significant amount of time we spent together outside of school. Um, I mean, we did a lot of shit. We would, when we started doing slam, we were seeing each other all the time, but when we went to New York right. for uh, two weeks, right after senior year and stayed with my uh, uncle in Brooklyn, she was worried. Yeah, she was really worried <laughs> because not only were we going, we were driving up. We were staying with my, you know, revolutionary communist uncle in Brooklyn, like on his couch. And we were just going to like go up to Massachusetts. We were just going to, you know, we we're just going to wing it and be fine. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I think she would have felt fine about me doing it alone or with most people. But yeah, there was definitely a look in her eye. OK, it's like you're you're going with Mike. <laughs> you know waiting for the arrest call <laughs> yeah and, and honestly it could have happened because we did just meander through new york we like got lost on the subway we yeah I mean, but there was nothing debauch we didn't do anything debaucherous there no we were trying pretty seriously at slam poetry both of us at that time yeah so we, i mean we, we didn't that, do anything remotely I, there's nothing we did that was bad we just were young yeah. And didn't know, I mean, New York City is tough to navigate when you don't know any better. When I think about it now, we navigated it without GPS or anything. And we just like came down from Connecticut. We like stopped, you know, asked for directions just wherever we were. I mean, we didn't, we really didn't care. 
Yeah, uh, it, it went well. I thought we did pretty good. We did pretty good, except for like I almost killed us a couple times driving. But beyond that, I would have done the same. We 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 accidentally drove through like the the heart of Manhattan because we were. Yeah. You didn't mean to do it. We meant to just go to Brooklyn where we're going to park. And then from there we would yeah. ride the subway everywhere, but um, you made a wrong turn or something. And next thing you know, we were in like, I mean, it felt like 20 lanes of driving, but it was probably yeah. just like yeah. six lanes of track. And there's just, everybody's honking and there's just people walking. I, I couldn't imagine driving that back then. Now yeah, I could it do wild. it. You know, you just do as the car ahead of you. But changing lanes and stuff, yeah. I, I, that's pretty stressful. I had driven in D.C. and kind of had thought like, yeah, well, you know, Baltimore, D.C., I know, I know those, so I'll be okay. And, yeah, uh, yeah it, was totally, it, was, it was totally different. But, yeah, that, that trip was, was not, yeah, was pretty much business. I mean, I think, like, we both took SLAM pretty seriously at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool thing we were doing. We took a lot of pride in it. Do, do you still talk to that uncle? And we had a duo piece about – the, this, the Gatorade thing. The Gatorade thing. The Gatorade that, was our, that was like a very funny, like people enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a very comedic Crowd thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you still talk to that uncle at all? I have never heard you talk about that uncle. Jimmy? Since then. Um, we've run into each other here and there, but, you know, he's still really hardline committed to the Revolutionary Communist Party and Baba Vakian, and, which is a very specific sort of Marxist Leninist Maoist set, you know, you open up their newspaper and it says like, uh, our ideology is Marxist Leninist Maoism. Our party is the revolutionary communist party. Our leader is Baba Vakey. And, you know, it's, it's very ideologically driven to a point that's almost absurd for most people. Um, he's a really smart guy and, you know, he's, he's been doing that thing up in New York for forever, uh, and definitely influenced me, but he was trying I went up there before, uh, a couple years before that, and he really tried to push me into work with the Revolutionary Youth Brigade, which was like the youth arm of the Revolutionary Communist Party. And I was just like, yeah, I'm an anarchist, you know, like yeah. solidarity, but, you know, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. But he's still he's still doing that. He's still in that same project. And I'm sure I could stay there anytime and he'd be a gracious host. I'm yeah. sure of that. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I've always thought that, um, that sort of communism, well, I don't know his specific form, but like the types of people that get into that, like, uh, and the, the anarchism, there is something reflectionary of one to the other. It's almost like the opposite reaction to the same obvious problem is where it kind right. of stems from. So there's a lot of common ground despite being polar opposites. So it's like, no, we don't agree at all. But at the same time, they're like two of the only people that look at the political landscape as being just uh, toxic or, or destructive. Right. Destructive. It's like really two of the only parties that are, are like pretty much anti the, the general term system. I think when classical anarchists, you know, and communists generally felt like they should come through some sort of dialogue that leads to a, a more unified theory. At least I think that was kind of the feeling among some, some people. And it had to do with sort of seeing capitalism as, as the overarching thing. And, and you know, the anarchists 
state critique usually would take uh, a back seat. Oh, okay. So you would have, you know, have more like working together. Um, yeah, I guess they're, I guess they are both reactions to, you know, to the state of the world. I mean, I, I, I guess any, ex, any extreme or radical view of the world that says that needs to be a fundamental change um, will have some similarities. And of course, most people aren't going to want to stick with something like that, yeah. you know, because it would mean giving up so many things. You know, it's funny right now. So since you're in like a, since the room's gotten darker since you've started and you're wearing a hat. Um, so mm -hmm. just look at, look at your, it looks like you just have a tiny head. <laughs> yeah, I know. Batman, tiny head. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, where are you pulling all this information at with such a little brain? <laughs> God, you sure are smart for that little. Uh, I know. I just thought my head was really there. big because I had dreads in high school and it was like, you know, I, I could never wear like when, when to get, I went to prom and tried to get a hat. Yeah. I wouldn't fit. I, 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 um, I didn't realize until I shaved my head uh, when I was a part of the skinhead party. No, um, when I, when I shaved my head at the beginning of COVID, it was like the first time I didn't have hair that was like longer on the top than the sides. Yeah. And I was like, you know, maybe my head looks big because I always kind of poof my hair a little and just kind of have that messy, even if it's not long hair, kind of big hair look. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I realized that my head, the top of my head was not tremendously, like my forehead wasn't actually gigantic. I had a gigantic forehead. Mm. Um, yeah. This is a good question for you. I thought you would be a good person to ask this. I meant to ask Claire this, but I forgot. Since that you're somebody that's known me since before I ever did psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. Do you notice a difference in me as a person since I, I would say I'm on the other side of my experimental phase. I really no longer mm -hmm. smoke pot. I, I'm drinking wine. I, I don't really, I'm not a drinker. So I get to have like a little bit, but, and I, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, DMT only lasts like five to 10 minutes. And I, if I do it, I do a small amount just to sort of tip, tip my, you know, dip my toes in. I eat a little bit of mushrooms occasionally, but again, it's all kind of lighter. I don't microdose regularly. I don't smoke pot. Right. So I'm kind of on the other side of it, but for a handful of years, I kind of went all into, you know, it was because the therapeutic effects and the, the otherworldly nature of it. But do you think I'm a changed person from it? On the other side of it now. Yeah. Because would, it's been so I, many years of, yeah. it, you know, I noticed, I don't think that I, I think there's probably been a change it's not super perceptible because I, I scratched my head when you first asked the question. So I didn't, you know, I didn't, I'm not lunging at some big change that you're right. That you've made, but I do think when you were going through that phase was perhaps the, the most different yes. because you were not just, not just high and in a psychoactive sense, but you were having this like total, you know, complete experience of immersing yourself yes. in this whole bubble of, of things. And um, so that was a bit of a change. And when you were, when you started that, that was uh, when you were with um, Step, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I remember thinking that um, despite all that, when you weren't in, in it, I think you came out and visited us, you were, 
yeah, you, 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 it, it clearly hadn't changed much about, you know, who you were oh, and your sense I of gotcha. values and thoughts and stuff like that. But when we would run across each other while you were more excited about it or yes. in the middle of it or right after or in the afterglow or whatever. And it was so frequently that it was like, all the this, time. it was like a stretched out, you know, wormhole almost that I would say was the highest, the highest like energy you you've probably ever put off. Like, you know, that you were definitely on like on another wavelength than what most other people were, but you yes. were still, I noticed that. I don't know if other people would have. Yeah, only I, you're right. And because I was so open, it was like eager to talk to somebody that I could talk to about it, who I, if I met somebody that was willing to actually intellectualize it, which is rare and maybe judge you, but not overly cast you. It was rare to find somebody that I could talk to about it. Like I could talk to about it with you. And then it was nice to pick your brain about it as somebody that knew a decent amount, but also would probably find some of the stuff at the very least interesting. It's hard to find people that are interested without yeah. having strong psychedelic egos themselves, meaning people that have had a lot of experience. Most people, most people just don't want to, they don't even want to consider it too much unless they've done it a lot. And even then it's just kind of waiting to get their point in or their view in. Yeah. I'm definitely, yeah. I mean, usually I'm pretty good at sitting in that liminal position of like step a toe in, read yes. about it, kind of think about it. Um, I'm not really quick to commit. I remember reading like some of those plants of the gods and, and, and looking at some of the research on, you know, um, uh, addiction, addiction recovery after psychedelics and sort of going down that, that rabbit hole, reading some of the stuff from the sixties. Um, and, um, yeah, for me, I knew that I didn't love the culture right away yeah. after exploring that part of it. It was like, I think I probably fundamentally disagree with some of the takeaways that people are getting from here, but um, there's a lot of possibility in the whole thing, you know, it's from just experiencing it. It was like, we've, this is the tip of the fucking iceberg with how people have written about it and how people have explored it. It's so like one dimensional. It's like coming yeah. from this consumer society where everything has to have this utilitarian value that fits into these like sort of pre preordained um, needs, you know, uh, or scarcities. And that made it all kind of droll to me, but the way you talked about it was not like that, which I thought was always interesting because you, you have the ability to not talk about things in the way that the, the cultural, the, the culturally dominant way would be. Right. You know, you, you can say, well, I don't care what they are saying, you know, so I'm going to talk yeah. about it in my own way. And it would always surprise me because it was like hints of, uh, of this, of the sort of classical literature on psychedelics. And then just like some other shit, you would just be like, you'd go out and be like, if you felt something, you would start thinking about it and start reaching for it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you, you changed most, I think in, in probably ways that most people won't perceive because mm -hmm. it's more how you are, approaching your own life and your own sort of life as narrative or whatever. Yeah. It would probably be more of like a spiritual sense that you could discover through many things, through aging, through intellectualizing, and you could come to similar conclusions without psychedelics. So it's not 
like your buddy who accidentally ate 20 tabs of acid one time. And then for the rest of the life, you're just like, wow, dude, the screws are loose for you. You know, I still was able to stay relatively grounded in the way that I processed. I just had all this new stuff to process. And when it was fresh and coming on, it was like so epic and so extraordinary. I just couldn't believe what I was going through. And I am passionate and I do have a high energy and that stuff is energizing. Like it, it mm-hmm. gives you an even stronger energy. And like, I, like I would describe it. It's like uh, uh, the, my most 100 screw walking into a cage to fight somebody or all these other crazy things. The most extraordinary moments of my life are probably psychedelic. And, and it replaced a lot of potentially traumatic things or mm-hmm. other things where they were no longer the most significant identifying parts of my life. So I could see how, depending on Mm -hmm. your situation. But ultimately, I really hate how people think that anything is the cure. Like in this whole pot revolution that we're in, it's like, if you tell somebody that you're in pain, they're like, well, have you tried weed? You you know, (laughs) that's so stupid. You know, you're depressed. Have you tried pot? Have you like, are you kidding? (laughs) That's, that's what we live in. And now that, now that, That is what psychedelics are going to turn into. That's what mushrooms are going to turn into. I mean, I think it's great to experiment with. Like I would say, I don't, I don't, couldn't imagine why trying microdosing mushrooms and maybe trying one moderate, even large dose. I don't know what the risk would actually be. Um, But at the same time to say that this stuff cures anything, anything is stupid. Right. I, yeah, and I, it, it's probably a bit of misunderstanding what's going on because we're you're you know you're already setting out to look for certain measurable effects that will justify more liberalization of the use of the drug. Yeah, and it's that's dangerous. probably a bad place to start from. Dangerous. Yeah, because why? Right. Yeah, we should probably be more. I mean, it kind of for me it gets back to like the porn thing. You know, we see this like. Um, I mean, permissiveness is how they would talk about it in like the 70s and 80s in, in society. But it's really just a lack of having any guiding principles on these things. Like you didn't, you know, somebody, you being able to tell somebody younger, like here's, here's kind of how my experience went with using psychedelics. And here's how I would kind of guide you without you being saying that you need to take a psychedelic to fix a problem. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the direction we're headed. I think you're right. It's probably headed more towards um, prescribing medicalization of all mm-hmm. of these things. And I don't think that they're medical devices. I don't think they should be. Yeah. Um, even if they have those ancillary effects, they're just, that, that devalues what's going on going on there yeah that's the other thing you're doing so much more than what it is being prescribed for so you should probably be aware of all of the potential (laughs) that's a good way to scope and that's why i always thought i should go in on it like why why am i the person who competes the most in jujitsu out of like the entire state because i want to have tasted it enough where i can have that wisdom so it came to a point with psychedelics that I didn't want to do it to solve problems. I wanted to do it to understand it and get as many slices of 
you know, that it had to offer. So I could be somebody that understood it and been, be a voice of reason for what can go on and what it is. And I started seeing it as the study of psychedelics, um, Mm -hmm. more than actually any sort of transformative. Initially it was, yes, there was transformative things. And along the way I got to experience firsthand a lot of what it can potentially do and, and the teachings that might come from it and why people might call it a plant medicine and what people might be talking about when they're talking about interdimensions and, and infinite beings and whatever aliens and uh, crazy geometry and and inner inner webbings of your sense of self i got to experience a lot of quantum mechanics it could be it, it seemed like a lot of these things that i got to experience through that lens but it really for me became a study of psychedelics and how else are you going to study them Unless you're just going to use, like a lot of them, they just say, well, let me find some hundred schmucks to eat this shit and see what they go through. But that that didn't seem like- See the, what they tell you about what they go through. Yeah, it's happened along <laughs> the way. I have seen a hundred plus people right. do DMT. Prop. Maybe that might be an exaggeration, but I have seen a lot of people and I've talked to people who've done it. And But it was more about like, how do you get good at landscaping? Not Not- having everybody else cut grass and tell you how they do it. Right. right. You, so I just, yeah, there's this yeah. blue collar approach to, and, and I am that person that, that I learned through doing. So yeah. that, that's the long story short with that. We don't have to go too much um, further into that, but it does lead into a good question. So you are somebody, and I think what probably interests you most, I mean, I, I'm, I could be misspeaking, but I could imagine that psychedelics at the very least interest you in the same way that any sort of thing that is falls under the spectrum of like biohacking or, or, or sort of like optimization. Like you could see the potential benefits in experimenting with a lot of things to be optimal and to, and to fire on mm-hmm. all cylinders. And you're a good person. That's like, if you had to put your name, your John Hancock to anything biohacking related, whether it's a supplement, whether it's a dietary thing, whether it is exercise, things that affect your hormones, things that affect Mm. your overall health, your mental state, you could say, oh, well, what's my one weird trick? uh, Yeah, anything you can actually say, like, what types of things would you sign your name to? Because you do, you're somebody that I go to for useful information when it comes to diet, lifestyle, uh, knowing about things in general, you're pretty well researched and you have a pretty good scope on things like that. Like you're not the, you don't tout yourself as being this Ben Greenfield or whatever, but you probably could do well in a conversation with them or be on a panel of, of something like that, just being the type of researcher that you are. An experimenter, even though it's not as extreme as me, you know, you experiment enough. So what types of things do you think have an obvious effect on life existence? You know, even if it's just like whatever dietary stuff, supplementation, is there anything that stands out or or course of action? I, you know, it's interesting you say optimal and and my battery is dying here, by the way, if we get abruptly, if you you get cut, Um, if it dies, it dies. If it dies, it dies. That's what I figured you'd say. Um, So I guess I don't think about things in terms of, of optimal much anymore. And I think I've even started to think that 
the framework of just kind of like health as this sort of, what does it really mean? Uh, is, is maybe not great. Um, so I think that my, my, the only things that I kind of always come back to for myself and that I think maybe have larger application is kind of learning to suffer and learning what discipline means for you. Um, if you can't, you know, I've gone through a lot of diets and, and things like that. The only, the only underlying similarity was that they were hard and they all, all the ones that worked because they required, you know, so it wasn't really the diet. Yeah, it was, it was, it was the discipline. It was being able to find out what motivates me to keep myself in check in a world where you don't have, I mean, let's be honest, we don't have like a robust community to fall back on you. Maybe martial arts is probably one of an interesting exception to that. Yeah. In some cases. Um, We're not hunter gatherers. We don't, we don't live. We don't have this. We don't have a tight knit community to fall back on. Uh, We don't have uh, a set clear uh, set of cultural values or virtues or anything that we can go back to and say, well, this is like kind of how I'm guiding. Let me get back to center because I know this to be true because from my vernacular childhood, where I learned just how things are, as you learn as a child, not the information that we populate our brains with, but because we don't have a very strong core of that, uh, I mean, and it seems like you have to kind of learn to, to first of all, suffering is one thing that I notice a lot of people cannot do. And a lot of things that are worth or of value in your life require you to suffer. Um, and that's, polarity you could think that's that's polarity you know the opposite you you suffer (laughs) and then you experience the opposite (laughs) yeah and it's easy to think about that as suffering as being this really nasty thing we were just having this conversation the other night where somebody's like i don't want to die you know people start talking about the ways they really wouldn't want to die i really wouldn't want to be burned alive i really wouldn't want to drown on a ship you know uh i would all these different things things that like hold our fear and um if we were like timeless, if you're like a, a timeless soul that, that emanates after that, um, then I don't know that those types of suffering wouldn't be I, there. I don't know. There was, some, there would be some intrinsic like value to them. Mm. That doesn't mean that you need to be like, I, I, I've realized that I, I, my anxiety, a lot of people deal with it, you know, with mental health issues are big and anxiety for a lot of people is, is, is around fear of suffering, fear of pain, Fear of, of, of these of these sorts of things, and I know for me it's it's mostly about domination, because I want to be able to make my own choices and guide and guide those things. And in in a way, I, I wish that I could have a community to do that with all the time. And I have a family, you know, I have a daughter and I have a wife, and we do that together. But that requires also a lot of tip because I come from a, a society of basically no self restraint. I mean, we were talking, we started this talking about pornography um and think pornography could set you completely off your course you know for what you might what you might want for your life or what you want to be able to just do even if you just want to be able to do things that you can't do now um there are so many distractions out there there's so many Mm -hmm. things you could get caught up in for instance if you had been younger before you like went through powerlifting and you went through um losing weight and all those things and then had gone on before, and then after those things, you went on to psychedelics. If you had gone before that, 
would you have lost control? Yeah. Right. So you use those tools and those are the things that come back for you every time. There's no really good diet out there. I mean, sure. There's like shittier ones that I could say, you know, probably are going to load you up with, with more acute environmental pollutants. You could, you could make those kind of arguments that over time you're going to see, but Otherwise, it, but then at the same time, you're caught in the, the other part where you can't tell somebody to move less, eat more, or eat less, move more. Yeah, You can't tell them that and expect that to be uh, efficacious in any way. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, well, actually, I think you're about to die. I think that's what's happening. So I was literally about to wrap it up and your, uh, your phone died. So perfect timing. Steve is no longer with us. He's just this silly picture on my uh, zoom call so guys we've lost steve it's a very sad moment for the psychedelic athlete podcast um i'll see if there's anything steve wants to promote oh he's calling me on messenger well um let me get him on this mm. yo so i have you on this but it is not on the can you hear me? Oh. Oh, oh, we got it. I got sound. Oh, okay. So I wanted to tell you literally right when you, you, and I'm still recording this, but I'll wrap it up in a sec. I was literally about to stop you on that note when you went frozen. I was about to say, well, Steve's phone's about to die. So let's wrap this up. But since I have you on here, I don't know if they can hear you. So I'll repeat anything you say, because technically I was doing this from my laptop and you called me on the, I don't even know if you're on messenger or zoom or what we're talking on. So I want to tell you that it, I might as well ask you now, cause I was going to say, I might put anything in the show notes. Is there anything? Cause I know you are involved in a lot of different things, music related stuff, writing you have a zine thing coming out is there anything people can like keep an eye on subscribe to either a website a page anything you want to put out there um i'm in, i'm the editor at oak journal uh, oak journal oak journal.org It doesn't. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, I could send me a message with any sort of link that you want to go into a show note and I'm going to wrap this thing okay, up. Okay. Keep it, keep it clean. Yeah. Just, just, just do it like I'm, we're just, uh, yeah. Don't, don't like, yeah. All right, cool. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to wrap this up and then I'm, let me just end the recording right now. So a boom and the meeting for all.